Welcome to the 71st episode of Split Focus, a film and TV podcast. My name is Simon Eady, and alongside me, I have my co-host and the alpha hype crow to the Spider-Man No Way Home murder of hype crows, Adrian Pinter. How's it going, man? (coughs) What was that? General Kenobi. That's my crow impersonation. General Kenobi, it goes quite well. How are you, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. Hmm. That's cool, man. Yes. That's super cool. Yes. Incredible. Was that a good crow impersonation? No, that was awful. That was the worst crow impression. It sounded more like a raptor. Oh, don't even get me started, Simon. You know how good of a raptor noise I make. I'm joking. Your raptor sucks. Your raptor Uh, sucks. You you know that's a lie. Show me. No. Show the audience. No, I don't want it. You're a coward. It doesn't come through on mic. You're scared. You're scared of what people might think. No. Because it's awful. That's why. It's good. I do it at work sometimes and people are like, oh my goodness, is there a raptor in here? They exclaim. And I say, no, that was just me. Run. Run, they say. Yeah. There's a seagull on the loose. <laughs> you son of a gun. It sounds bad. An injured seagull. No. It's coming for us. Ah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I feel like you have, uh, you're talented in other areas. Let's just say that. Uh, hmm. Like what? Name my number one talent. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay? No, no, no. Say, we're talking say, about no. You, you just said I'm talented in other areas. I'm calling you out. What's my name? One of my talents. You're uh, you're a good cook. You make delicious food. Okay, thanks. That's that's good. Enough. That's one of your talents. I'll take it. I'll take it. Thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I'd like to now turn your attention to film and TV, Adrian. Okay. I don't know if you're ready for this on this film and TV podcast, dude. I'm so ready. Excellent. All right. The first thing I want to talk about. Just briefly, it's a light topic here. Black Adam. Black Adam starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Did you see that news that the that the producer had talked to? It wasn't a very, I don't know, I don't know what CBR.com is or how good CBR.com is as a reputable source, but apparently the producer, uh, Hiram Garcia, talked mm-hmm. to CBR.com. CBR. Did you hear what he said to them about Black Adam? No, I did not, Simon. CBR isn't. I feel like that's one of those like comic book movie news websites, but maybe not. Yeah, but if the, I mean, if the producer is like quoted, the like they IGN, which is a regu- regularly pretty reputable, they quoted CBR, so I guess they trusted that was a real interview between the producer and CBR.com. Okay. So eh. okay, that's where I actually read it. I don't frequent CBR.com, but regardless, I don't want to throw shade at CBR.com. The point is. He said that Black Adam is edgy. It's meant to be edgy, and it's going to you know, try to creep to the edges of what a PG-13 movie can be. In fact, this is exactly what he said. He said, Black Adam is edgy, right? He said, that's going to be a PG-13 movie where it was very much like, say, The Dark Knight, where they pushed the edges of PG-13. I think we do that very much with Black Adam. We have a very high kill count in our movie, he said. Oh, mm. nothing, nothing says edgy like a high kill count, Simon, because that's what made the Dark Knight movie really good is all those people that died. Right. That's not what he's saying in this case. I don't think I he's connecting the two. I'm just being a little kidder. Um, but I, I don't know. That's cool, I guess. I, I, I hate it when people are like 
I don't know, they call themselves edgy or call the, the thing that they're making edgy. It just makes me, I don't know, it makes me cringe a bit. I, I just find it really weird. It is weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. And he's also saying the character, like he's he's calling, the, I think he's referring to the character itself as edgy, right? Like he's asking yeah. CBR.com. Like Black Adam is edgy, right? Like, I don't know. Well, like, that. shouldn't you know this? <laughs> I was like one of the producers. Well, he does know it. He He's saying, I'm asking you to confirm that you also agree with me. Oh. Uh. But I, I don't know, like, is that something to really advertise and be proud of? I, I like the know. idea that it's going to be like Black Adam wrecking shit up. That is something that I'm excited for. Me too. I love I love it when people die in movies. Um. I don't necessarily like that. I just I like it when it serves the plot and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that's that's all you have to say. I mean, uh, yeah, again, like <laughs> like I, I like the idea as well. I, I we talked about this multiple times. How like I really hope, or we both hope that it is just like yeah, Black Adam just like messing stuff up, and you know, it's like what is it called? The the Guardians of the Globe, or what are they called? Guardians, uh, the Justice Society of America. Guardians of the Globe is for yeah. Invincible. Sorry, um, you yeah, got the Justice it. Society of America. Well, we were connecting the two. Yeah. Slightly. We thought it was kind of... Yeah, if they do something like Invincible, I would really like that as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, like this doesn't do too much for me. Like I'm curious about the Black Adam movie, but I wouldn't consider myself excited, you know? For the movie? You're not excited for it? Not really, no. I could oh. take it or leave it. I see. I feel like yeah. you don't have enough perspective to really take it or leave it because yeah, I don't think you know enough about it. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I don't know enough about it to really care as much now, yeah. but I feel like it could be really cool. It could be. And I'll watch it. Like, I'm definitely going to watch it when it releases, but I'm not in a rush. I still haven't seen Wonder Woman, the second Wonder Woman, where she wears gold. Neither have I. Yeah. Neither have I. Yeah, that's a, it's one that I kind of wanted to catch, but because of the poor reviews, I didn't watch it. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just the poor reviews, I, sh- I should say, on Rotten Tomatoes, but I found that friends of mine who had watched it didn't love it. And I mm-hmm. think that that swayed my opinion as well. And I feel like... We're going to talk a little bit about Rotten Tomatoes in a short while from now. Yeah. And, and it's and its influence on a particular movie that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exciting. But but yes, before we do that, I also want to talk a little bit as a follow-up on the uh, whole Rust situation um, with, uh, with Helena Hutchins who passed away because mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin had a not-known-to-him loaded gun that mm-hmm. he shot – at her while they were filming that movie, that Western Rust, which is a, a great tragedy, honestly. And um, there was more that came out about it. And I don't know if you saw this, Adrian, because this is a, kind of ridiculous of what happened recently, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I read into it a bit. It's uh, it's a very interesting thing. I don't know. Like, it makes me very curious. It's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, this is a very odd situation if you want to just kind of elaborate on it, Simon. Yeah, for sure. So, Initially, David Halls, who's the assistant director for that project, um, the director was also shot. If you're not familiar with the story, I think everybody is who's kind of tracking film and TV to some extent. But Helena Hutchins was shot with a gun that Alec Baldwin was was pointing towards her and Joel uh, Souza, who was right behind her. And so the, the there somehow was a live round, an actual bullet in the gun. It fired through Helena Hutchins' stomach or you know uh, her chest and went into Joel Sousa, who was right directly behind her. Joel Sousa was okay, but he went to the hospital with, with wounds, and Helena Hutchins unfortunately passed away. Mm-hmm. But before this all happened, Baldwin obviously had to get the gun from somewhere. David Halls apparently handed him the gun, 
Mm-hmm. And he he yelled or somebody yelled that it was a cold gun on set. Cold meaning that it wouldn't have any live rounds. Of, of course, like not no no bullets, obviously, but also wouldn't have any blanks mm-hmm. either. That was the idea. But now, and the, the armorer's name is Hannah Gutierrez Reed. We didn't really mm-hmm. talk about her very much on the previous episodes in which we talked about this. But she was in charge of specifically making sure that there were either blanks or not blanks in the gun. Live rounds, actual bullets are not supposed to be found on set in any capacity, anytime on any set. That's a great breach of safety, obviously. So that's a a big no-no. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that's obvious. But there was rumors that they were like, I don't know. They were like shooting pop cans and stuff, weren't they? Like, weren't they like actually putting real bullets? Yeah. Exactly. They were shooting pop cans off, uh, off the lot, basically, off the off the set. Which is crazy. So some of the crew and cast, I don't know about the cast, but some of the crew, apparently that's a rumor that was happening. So mm-hmm. maybe that's how the live rounds got in there. But the armorer obviously is going to come under fire in this case because she apparently, well, she's supposed to check the gun every time it goes mm-hmm. out and things like that. And she's the one who makes sure that the rounds are in the gun, etc. Yeah. But she initially said, I have no idea how any live rounds could be ended up on set. It was a mystery. That was initially what her lawyer had said on behalf of her. David Halls, the assistant director who apparently Hannah Gutierrez-Reed handed the gun off to, said, I have no idea how that happened um, as well. And he had no idea that there were live rounds rounds in the gun. Mm -hmm. But now recently, she kind of made another statement to to try and clarify things, which I don't think it clarified that much, but maybe it did. Uh, And so her lawyer put out this statement saying this, quote, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed would like to add a few points to the continuing narrative on the tragic events surrounding the shooting on the Rust set. First, Hannah was incredibly safety conscious and took her job very seriously from the moment she started on October 4th. She did firearms training for the actors, as well as Mr. Baldwin. She fought for more training days, and she regularly emphasized to never point a firearm at a person. Never in a million years did Hannah think that live rounds could have been in the dummy round box. Who put those in there and why is the central question. Hannah kept guns locked up, including throughout lunch on the day in question. And she instructed her department to watch the cart containing the guns when she was pulled away for her other duties or on a lunch break. Hannah did everything in her power to ensure a safe set. She inspected the rounds that she loaded into the firearms that day. She always inspected the rounds. She did check the firearm again right before handing the firearm to Mr. Holes by spinning the cylinder and showing him all of the rounds and then handing him the firearm. No one could have anticipated or thought that someone would introduce live rounds into this set, unquote. Hmm. The source for that was Deadline, which is pretty reputable as a source in contrast yeah. to CBR potentially. Again, I don't have that much perspective on CBR.com. But anyway, that's besides the point. Huh. What is going on here? Because it yeah. looks to me... Like she's saying that David Hall's put a live round in the gun. Am I crazy? No, that's literally what I feel like. It's it's almost like she's shifting the blame and saying that, I don't know, maybe this assistant director put a real bullet in this gun that Alec Baldwin then shot the cinematographer with. Like it's it's wild. This is a very interesting story. And like, again, it's awful that this happened, but it doesn't take away from how wild this is getting i don't know i i I agree with you though like it does sound like she is shifting the blame on mr halls that he he did put the gun in there or sorry the bullet in there it's wild it's insane 
because I don't think that that's true at all. I think that's completely false, but I think that he's the one who's being looked at uh, with the spotlight and so is she. And I feel like this is how you make it so that you don't lose your job or you never get mm-hmm. to work again in Hollywood or don't go to jail or I don't know. Way, I don't this- think like she deserves to work in Hollywood again, regardless. I feel like in terms of just this situation, but just in general, like the, the rumors coming out from this, that people were using those guns to shoot pop cans and stuff like that. Like your main job, like that is your sole purpose is to ensure the safety on set. In regards to specifically the, the, the firearms. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And to put it bluntly, she failed big time. Yeah. Someone died because of her negligence. Yeah, exactly. Theoretically. Um, yeah, theoretically. And it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, who knows? Like, maybe she's telling the truth. And maybe this this Mr. Hall's guy is some psychopath that put in a real bullet into the gun. But that seems incredibly unlikely. And either yeah. way, um, she does not deserve to work in Hollywood. I'm, I'm going to just put that out there. That, that's my statement on this. Yeah, like, I just find this really brazen. And uh, I don't know. I would say I'm professional, but this is this is like these are trying times for this. Mm-hmm. This cast and crew, I feel like. So I don't know. These are unprecedented times. But I just, I don't understand why a lawyer would even agree to put out this statement. It just seems so egregious. Like yeah. it's, it seems, it's not outrageous. I mean, it could have happened, but it just seems like why would you go to this length to explain it away like this? Mm-hmm. It's just like you're accusing somebody basically of they messed up, not me. And meanwhile, by the way, uh, there's reported moments a couple days before or days before that there was literally stuntmen like Baldwin's Alec Baldwin's stuntman actually fired off two blanks when the gun was reportedly cold. Mm -hmm. It was cold. The weirdest thing though, in in regards to this though, is that apparently she showed him that there's literally blanks in the gun. Mm -hmm. He hands Alec Baldwin a gun with blanks during a rehearsal. So she checked it in front of him. According to her, she hands him the gun and then he, he or somebody else says it's a cold gun, which means there's no blanks in it. Like what? That, that, that also doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And he didn't think, I don't think he even thought that it wasn't a cold gun based on his initial statement. Or he's lying. I mean, it's possible. He's left less, less statements in the wild than, than apparently Hannah Gutierrez read at this point. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I don't understand. It just, it just feels egregious to me. Like it just feels very like brazen for somebody to put this kind of statement forward when really again based on multiple reports it seems like this has been a problem on this set prior to this event happening just not in such an, a crazy way yeah so you do look at fault a little bit in that regard so did you check it she always checks it every time she always inspects the rounds she checked it right before handing it to Mr. Halls by spinning the cylinder and showing him all of the rounds and then handing him the firearm. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah, it's unfortunate because like there's no way of knowing if that's true or not. It's a, it's a very much like a he said, she said situation. Um, David Halls can deny this fairly easily, probably. Um, or maybe he does agree with it and says like, yeah, she did. Who knows? I, I don't know. But yeah, just the idea that like someone also yelled that it's a cold gun, whether it was David Halls or some random person, it just, yeah, something doesn't add up here. And it's, it just, again, it's a tragedy that could have been easily avoided. And I think a lot of this comes down to just negligence on not only like Hannah Gutierrez reads part, but I think multiple people. 
Um, yeah, for sure. It's, it's awful. I would also like to point out, and this is a thing that I find when people don't have a very good argument or they fail to make good arguments, which is weird because this is said by a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But never in a million years did Hannah, Hannah think that live rounds could have been in the dummy round box. Well, okay, they're in the dummy round box, but I thought you checked the gun every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so which one is it? Did you check the gun? Because you put them in there, right? Yeah. You did it. So what do you mean the dummy round box? David Hall didn't go back into the box and add more bullets. Is that what the claim is? Because this is really muddled based on this. I'm thinking she's she's saying that there's dumb, there's there was live somehow there were bullets in the dummy round box, which is crazy. But then she always checks it. But then she what? She didn't check it correctly. Yeah, I don't that, know. Like, again, like making it's almost a contradiction of its of the own of their own argument which I find a little ridiculous. The mm-hmm. other thing about this too, just to like play both sides of this, because we want to be fair, David Hall's apparently, there was also rumors that on a previous set, he was like, it's awful in terms of safety. People hated him in that regard. Oh, okay. So that's another thing too. So yeah. who knows? Who knows what, yeah. uh, what exactly happened? But I just was so surprised to read this. I, I, was, I was shocked. <laughs> that's what I would say. It's a doozy. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I, yeah, I'm curious to see how this is going to continue, like developing as time goes on, because I think uh, I'm sure there'll be more and more updates as the weeks progress. And uh, yeah, for sure, I, I feel like we'll we'll continue updating it here because I'm very intrigued about this. Yeah, I thought we weren't going to talk about it again. I thought it was over for a little while until the until somebody made a statement, like from the actual investigations team, mm-hmm. as opposed to a statement coming out from somebody who's directly involved, which yeah. just tried to seem to like just lay blame on someone else. Which is just again didn't see that coming, but, um, but yeah, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it every time it mm-hmm. potentially comes up in a in a big way. Okay. Yeah. So, Adrian, what did you watch this week? What have you been watching, film and TV wise? Anything exciting? Yeah, Simon. I know there's one thing you at least at least watched that we both did. Yeah, yeah. I watched a, I watched a few things. So uh, I'm still watching you. I'm on the last two episodes of season three, so I'm just gonna wait until I finish the show com- like completely, and Me? then. Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, follow up next week. Uh, I'm really liking it, though. Um, but the other thing I watched, uh, other thing of two things I watched is the Netflix original movie, The Harder They Fall. Ooh. And uh, I believe you watch this as well because it's in the notes. I sure did. And Simon, what did you think of this movie? I absolutely adore this movie. Me too. It's a masterpiece, in my opinion. I think James Samuel, the director and the writer, I, I think he just did a phenomenal job. That's mm-hmm. what I think. And you just said you loved it as well. Yeah. I think it's the best thing I watched this week. Oh, I I, I think so too. Um, yeah, th- this thing is, th- this movie's really awesome. It's a, you know, a Western movie that follows like mostly black protagonists. Um, and like these like, you know, couple of gangs like facing off against each other. And it is, God damn, this is a wild ride. A wild west ride, some would say. Ooh, wow. Ooh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. Um, but yeah, this movie's a ton of fun. It's it, Again, it's a Netflix original movie. It's available, uh, I think, in all regions on Netflix. And, uh, you know, it's about two hours long. And it's, yeah, it's a Western movie. Involves mostly black protagonists. Uh, the movie kind of starts off with a, you know, young, young man that uh, – like a little boy that sees his like parents get murdered uh, from this uh, from this guy, um, and 
I guess, dedicates his life to, you know, finding this guy again. Starts off with a bang. Starts off with a couple bangs, arguably. Yeah, yeah, literally. And uh, yeah, man, this movie's this movie's nuts. I think the performances from literally everyone on the cast is stellar. Uh, you know, Idris Alba being a, I mean, that guy. I don't know. He this whenever he's on screen, I just can't take my eyes off that guy. He's just so. He's a master at what he does. And I think, again, everyone else in the cast is also a master. Like Keith Stanfield, I absolutely adored in this movie. Jonathan Majors, of course. Zazie Beetz. Like this cast was this cast was phenomenal. And the, the, the where the story goes is I don't want to say predictable, but, it you know, it, it's a it's a classic sort of Western revenge story. But it does so many interesting and unique things that I was honestly all in the entire time. I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. And it's really surprisingly funny too, which I was not expecting. Um, And just a really fun movie. The music choices in this movie, top tier. It doesn't like, it doesn't feel like a Western soundtrack, but it still fits incredibly well. Um, And yeah, honestly, yeah, I I really love this movie. I think this movie's freaking awesome. This is one of the best things I've watched all year. Not my favorite. um, Like I still love Dune. But it's definitely in my top five movies I watched this year, without a doubt. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. Yeah, I would agree. The music, you you, you beat me to it. I, be, I I mention the music every time, but you you mentioned it this time, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, but yeah, the whole the whole cast is unreal, and it is funny, and it's like the incre- it's incredibly stylized, which I just very, I'm very impressed with. Like mm-hmm. the, the cinematography is amazing, and the the choreography. Like the like the gunplay and the like the combat choreography is just awesome. Yeah, it's so good throughout. And um, yeah, it's it's very gory and bloody as well. Like they it, didn't. It is. I feel like he didn't pull any punches in that regard. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got such an amazing cast, but he's not afraid to like let some of them go. Like don't get too attached, kind of thing. Like very much so. It's two gangs going head to head, and each of the gangs have like an again amazing actors attached to them. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, the the love gang and the buck buck gang, so mm-hmm. it's it's fantastic. And then uh, Bass Reeves was really good too, by the way. I don't know if you mentioned. I don't think you just you just mentioned him, but Delroy Lindo, yeah, playing the uh, the the marshal. Which, by the way, Bass Reeves was actually known as the Lone Ranger, like the real Lone Ranger that the story was based off. Oh. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Bass Reeves is actually featured in Watchmen in the very beginning. The Lone Ranger is actually what the little kid is watching in that movie theater in the beginning of that that show, like mm-hmm. the very very start. He's watching Bass Reeves as the Lone Ranger. That was kind of the, the that that film that he's watching, and that's kind of a neat idea that he's in this. Delroy Lindo plays Bass Reeves, who's mm-hmm. not really called the Lone Ranger, but he's the the marshal in this, and he's also arguably the most badass in that he just one shots everyone. Yeah. <laughs> He's just extremely effective. He's like an older guy compared to like Jonathan Majors as an example, but he he's destroying everybody. So I think that's awesome. And, yeah, it's just uh, so, it's so casual. Like him walking through the town, uh, yeah. like closer to the end of the movie, and literally just like boom, boom. It's like the most badass. And it's not like he's walking undercover. He's just walking in the middle of the road, just taking people out. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like, I think the best way to define this movie is you said that this is a very stylized movie, and I agree with you. It's just such a cool movie. Everyone is oh, yeah. so cool. 
They like you're looking at all these characters. I'm like, these guys are so badass and awesome, and I just adored watching them. But yeah, yeah. It's we talked about. Um, I don't know if it was last week. Now I'm confused with our episodes, but maybe it was two weeks ago. Dune about how it kind of like throws you into the world, and you're like. You're just thrown in and just like Star Wars, kind of the first Star Wars in 1978 or whatever, mm-hmm. 77, you're thrown in and you're like, whoa, I, like this is a completely new thing. Everything's new to me. Not that this does that. It's a freaking Western. But in a way, it does that with the characters and that the, each of these characters has their own backstories and you can really feel that they are legitimately the characters that they are and that they, they I don't know what it is about them, but they each seem so unique despite the fact that they're all really cowboys in the same era. So it's mm-hmm. not like they're that's spectacular but again it's 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 really cool and i'm i'm hoping for a sequel on this because and i'm just hoping for anything that i kind of want to watch anything that james samuel comes out with next Mm -hmm. because his style of filmmaking is really good i was looking into that a little bit to see what he's made but he hasn't really made that much in terms of films he's like a he's a musician he's a he's an artist in that way as well and he's made a lot of music videos which i can actually see like kind of in the framework of what this movie is even like the beginning of the movie uh, or at the very beginning, but a certain shot with the titling. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you recall. Yeah. It's just so well good. It's so, so well good. So well done with oh, the- Oh, it is so well good, baby. It's so well good, yeah. So well done with the slow motion and the freeze framing it, that happens with the titling for the film. It's, oh man. There's just so many moments like that. There's like, and there's very, we we talked about this with like Breaking Bad or Battle Call Saul, how there's very, very specifically- clearly thought out framed shots that worked re- worked really well in those shows and that worked really well here like for instance doing a shot of above the characters moving through a train mm-hmm. during like a train job it's just so awesome and the anticipation that they create behind the characters like Idris Alba yeah. and that's actually in the trailer but when they're breaking him out of like a, a prison cell on a train mm-hmm. there's that really that feeling of like this guy is really something like there's a lot of gravitas there's always a lot of gravitas for Mm -hmm. anything that idris alba is is a character anything he plays he's pretty much there's gravitas attached to him but i feel like in this case they just did it so well and in terms of like the shot of him from behind coming out of that jail cell it's just so daunting it's Mm -hmm. it's fascinating he again it's just so beautifully shot the dialogue is also really snappy as you mentioned it was funny yeah. And uh, is uh, like Keith Stanfield, for instance, like having that kind of standoff with where they, they're kind of talking. He's talking with RJ uh, Siler at, at one point, mm-hmm. RJ Siler's character, Jim Beckworth. It's just, uh, again, there was just a lot of tension there. And um, yeah, like every one of these characters just felt really fleshed out, even though there were a lot of them. Like there's a lot of these characters. Yeah, that's Regina exact- King and Daisy Beats dynamic. So oh. awesome. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say like, yeah, on the topic of, yeah, like this movie is only two hours and 20 minutes. Like it's a, it, it, I mean, I guess it's long. Um, like when you think about it like that, but yeah, they're, they play with so many characters and every single one of them is so well developed and feel so three dimensional and unique in their own way. And yeah, again, that dynamic between Zazie Beats and Regina King's character is so good. It's so good. I love it. There's one scene in particular that's just so tense um where it's almost like an interrogation scene um where i was just like oh man like again regina king's delivery throughout that is just phenomenal man again everyone in this movie just does such a great job indeed and jonathan majors i just so excited to see what he's gonna do next like honestly Mm -hmm. i just think that he's so confident in in all of his delivery and there's something about his character that's very endearing like i don't know 
you got to feel you can relate to him, even yeah. though he's they're all outlaws in this entire movie. They're pretty much all bad, mm-hmm. bad dudes. But yeah, no one's particularly a good person. Like they've all done bad things. But I feel like with yeah Jonathan Major's character Nat Love, um, you can kind of sympathize with him because you know you know why he's on this like I guess murder spree like why he's doing these bad things. And they even like kind of talk about him almost being like a Robin Wood type, uh, Robin Wood, Robin Hood, Robin Wood, Robin Wood. Yeah. So well, good Robin Wood. Yes. That's right. Um, And yeah, him being kind of like a Robin Hood uh, type character and just, you know, having a very specific code doesn't kill just random civilians or anything like that. Doesn't really rob banks, just, you know, takes money from other cowboys, um, which I, I really liked. Yeah. I think it's really cool. Yeah, the mention of the music too, in, in terms of the, like even the sound mixing, the sound editing, I feel like it was all done extremely well. And like it was rocking my sound system in a way mm-hmm. that I feel like a lot of movies don't take advantage of maybe. It's strange, but there's a lot of bassy music in it. And I was like, I was like, should I have watched this in a movie theater? Like, am I missing out? Because it it uh, really is well yeah. sound designed. Like the sound editing and mixing overall for everything, the soundtrack, all of the sound, I just, I'm so impressed with it. And there's this moments with the soundtrack kicks in with like really bassy drum beats. And I'm like, wow, this is, I'm in it. I'm in mm. this. As they're like riding aclo- across the plane and the planes and they've got like a, like a rap song on with like really bassy music. Oh man. It's so good. It's so good. It, it is. It is. And I agree with you. Like I, I watching it at home, like I don't have as good of a sound system as you do, but it, it did really just, it made my room shake and I kept on thinking the one thing I didn't like about the movie is that I wish or that I didn't watch it in theaters. So it's nothing about the movie itself is I just wish I watched this on a huge screen in a theater and yeah, had that uh, like in an, in like an ultra AVX theater and had that like just roaring in my ears because it's, uh, it's so good. And yeah, like you said, the sound design, not only with the music, but just, yeah, the sound mixing and everything is really well done. And yeah, just like the way the gunshots go off randomly and, it's shocking. It's shocking and awesome. Uh, yeah, I, re- I really love this movie. I, I can't recommend this movie enough. I think it's I think it's well worth watching. You have a Netflix subscription. There's really no reason to watch it. And the entire time I was watching, I was like, man, I really want to play Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> I know. That's what I was going to say too next, which is basically this movie just encompasses everything that a Western is mm-hmm. in a way. And it does it in such an incredible style. And it's just fun to watch like all the way through and- yeah. Another one more thing to mention. I just love the reference to the white town. I thought that that was hilarious. Dude, yeah, I lost I, it when that happened. It's really like, funny wow. and it's it's so clever like what they do in that scene in particular. I thought it was genius, like genuinely genius. Yeah. No, that's the weird thing about that is that right after we watched uh, this movie where I watched this movie with my girlfriend, um I played Red Dead Redemption. I was like, I'm really feeling Red Dead Redemption now. So like that's a PlayStation game, you know, Xbox game just for you individuals who don't play video games out there. Apologies to Kenneth Stadelbauer for talking about video games. Exactly. I apologize as well. But, um, but yeah, oh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Do I recommend it? Heck yes. Heck yes. Cool. All right, Adrian, what was the other thing you watched this week? I'd imagine I know what it is, but I'd like you to tell the audience. Guess, Simon. I want you to guess. Um, I know what it is. It's oh, literally okay. written here in front of my face. <laughs> oh, it's Eternals, you bozo. It's the new oh. Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Eternals, that released in theaters. Wow, incredible. Yeah. And uh, 
I'm curious to hear what you think about this, Simon, because it's not mm. being reviewed well. At the time that we are recording this, it is currently sitting at a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 84% audience score. And I'm yes. curious to see where you lie on this because I, I, I made up my mind. I know where I lie on this. Where do you lie on this? Yes. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's uh, it's quite good in my opinion. I think it's awesome. And uh, I don't understand the reviews. They don't make a lot mm-hmm. of sense to me in this case. But I'm wondering if you're going to say the opposite. So what was your your opinion? No, I'm with you, Simon, as well. I, uh, I'm i very confused as to why it's being reviewed so poorly. I really liked it. I thought this was a really good movie. Not the best thing I watched this week. I think The Heart of They Fall is uh, a stellar movie. But I think Eternals is a pretty good movie. Not the top of the MCU, but definitely not at the bottom. It's very yeah. different from everything that has come before it. It's a very unique vision. And I think what Chloe Zhao has done with this, I really I really liked it, honestly. I'm uh I think this movie does have its flaws. Uh a a, a good chunk of flaws, honestly, um, in, in the movie itself, where you know, I was like, ah, I don't really like this choice or you know i think uh i think most notably um you know me in cgi simon i think most notably the cgi in, in a lot of this movie is very poor but at the same time so much of the cgi is really good it's like i think this movie has some of the most inconsistent cgi of any movie i've ever seen and it really threw me off multiple times i'm very nitpicky about that stuff you know this but like for me i was like what like because I think the creature designs of the deviants in particular are fantastic and they look uh, genuinely amazing all throughout the film. But there's a few things that just seem so out of place. There's a scene in particular with like an airplane flying by, which just looked awful. Like there's a a video game just came out, Microsoft Flight Simulator. It it just came out. And I was like, Microsoft Flight Simulator literally looks better than this this huge budget movie. And And that's a video game that you can just control on the fly. And it was very apologies to Ken, by the way. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. There was there's a quite a few scenes where I was just kind of shocked at how bad it looked. When most of the movie, I think, is pretty good in terms of its again designs and how like the superpowers worked and stuff like that. Um, but again, I think this this uh, I, I'm on the audience score side for sure. I think I think it is a much better movie than the critics are saying and. I do agree with you. I don't really, I don't really see the criticisms that the critics, the critics are putting out. It just doesn't. I just can't agree with most of them. Um, I don't know about I, you. Yeah. So my my opinion on that, and I, I just want to talk briefly about your CG criticisms, just because mm-hmm. I ha- I have to. <laughs> There's only one scene in which it was the most outrageous CG I've I've seen in a movie in twenty. Like the, I feel like the 20, I don't know, even like from 2016 onward, mm-hmm. I would say it's so bad. And we're not going to talk about that here because it's a spoiler. And, and we'll talk about that in the a closer look episode that we're going to launch probably Wednesday uh, okay. of this week. So that's that's the plan anyways. And that will go into more of the spoiler heavy stuff just because, I don't know, it's, it's easy to spoil this movie and we don't want to do that on a regular mm-hmm. podcast episode as we've explained many times on our regular episodes of Split Focus Film and TV Podcast, but but um, that's the only thing that really stood out to me in terms of CG. Mm-hmm. My thought in terms of critics, and this is the thing I kind of thought before we watched it, and I kind of told you this, or I, I, I sorry, uh, my uh, Jimmy sent you a, a message. I don't know if you remember getting it because you don't love Jimmy, our no, audiovisual I, 
I technician because we cool. don't talk outside this podcast, so never we can't have, talk about it. Right. Never have, never, never have. Will. Talk to Jimmy or talk to me? You. Outside this podcast. Oh, okay. So you might have remembered getting a, a message from Jimmy about this, but I had this belief that the critics were conflicted, that they couldn't consolidate the two concepts of Chloe Zhao, the director of Nomadland, who won Best Director mm-hmm. for Nomadland, making a Marvel movie, which has its flavoring that you can never really shake off. Mm-hmm. And some directors kind of mesh with that really well and that they they kind of they kind of already have that flavoring in their movies. And I would maybe point out Taika Waititi. Yeah, exactly. I think that he kind of already has a very humor filled he's a comedy director. So it's like, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get something comedy yeah. filled in a a movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Taika Waititi. In this case, she's a drama director who made a very, very I wouldn't say unfunny. There's some, some funny moments in Nomadland, but it's pretty serious. Mm-hmm. It's got very serious tones throughout, and it's a very, very distinct distinct tone. She knew exactly what she was doing, and uh, it's kind of you know, it's kind of down. It's a bit of a it was a bit of a downer when I watched it, but it's a great movie, and it's it's obvious why it won Best Picture, as mm-hmm. I think you would agree, Adrian. Yeah, like I think I said in my review, it's a. Uh... I was like, it, I, it feels like a boring movie, but you couldn't take your eyes off the screen. Like it's still interesting, although it's like, yeah, not much happens. It's really just like a, like over the course of a year, you're following some nomads. Nomadland, amazing, but different. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that these critics, they, they, and I read a lot of these reviews and I just, I can tell based on what they're saying that they just can't consolidate those two things. Like they can't think, oh, how is Chloe Zhao going to make a Marvel movie? And they wanted something either really slow and exactly what Chloe Zhao would do every time, or they wanted a Marvel movie, which was really funny and lighthearted, like Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm -hmm. They can't make up their mind. And that's what it looks like constantly. It's like, um, it's so weird. I think even Rotten Tomatoes, they posted based on the reviews that they had. um, I wonder if I can find that real quick. But if I recall, they... They said that Chloe Zhao was hampered. Her style was, yeah, that's the words they used. They, she, her style was hampered by the confines of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, formula, mm. which I just don't agree. I don't, I don't really agree. I think she just made the movie she wanted to make, but she made mm-hmm. it in, she did make it in the confines of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course. I still think that she got to choose a lot of what this movie was, and it's a fairly unique movie within the MCU, I think. Uh, yeah, I would make the argument that it's probably the most unique. It doesn't feel like anything that has come before whatsoever. Like it's very – I feel like Marvel has slowly gone into uh, a territory where almost every movie is like a comedy. It's very witty. Like every character is just you know doing quip after quip and it's incredibly witty and there's, there's so many laughs sprinkled throughout uh, every single MCU movie, even the more serious ones like uh, Captain America Winter Soldier as an example. Maybe not as much as that one but uh, like I feel like Eternals – doesn't go down that route it's not a comedy there are quite a few funny scenes but this is a far more drama filled family dynamic movie that's very dire and kind of depressing throughout it um like even like if we're comparing endgame which is an incredibly dire situation endgame's still absolutely hilarious you know you have paul rudd in the movie like making jokes left right and center and everything like that you don't really have this in this movie like other than I guess Kumail Nanjiani, who is a like his character is quite funny, and I mean he, he just you know bleeds charisma um, on on screen. But it this movie isn't that it, it it's tonally incredibly different from 
everything else. And uh, and I think it keeps its tone pretty intact. And I I agree. There's a there's other other reviews that were claiming that the pacing is off because of the flashbacks. But I think the flashbacks are the best part of the movie. This movie mm-hmm. jumps around because these Eternals have been on Earth for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, kind of throughout humanity. And one of my favorite things is the way they jump back in time and they tell that story. It's an epic. Mm-hmm. It's truly an epic that's traveling through time. And I just love the fact that they they went to like World War II, like the yeah, ba- Babylonian times. Like they, they went yeah. so far back. And I think that that's the coolest thing about the movie. It's so well done in that regard. And I wish there was actually more flashbacks. That's my, that's my criticism. I agree. I kind of wish there was more at times because that's the most interesting part. It's cool how Chloe Zhao took the things from the present and made them relate to the things that these Eternals who have lived for so long have learned in the past. Mm-hmm. And these, these teachings that they kind of learned by living so many years, this experience, the life experience was pushed forward in a real way to determine their actions in the present day when a real kind of shit hitting the fan event is happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that was, again, really, really well done. Um, I don't know. There's not a lot that I hated, to be honest, except for maybe the ending. Not that the ending is bad and, and on the whole, but mm-hmm. I felt like, I don't know if you agree with this, but the way it ends, it felt like it ended three, four times. <laughs> and I'm like, come on. I do agree with you. There's one thing in particular that, again, we'll dive into the closer look that I, I genuinely hated, and I hate this trope in like so many in so many movies. Um, yeah, but yeah, like the the ending I think is one of the weakest parts of it um, for sure. Not that it's, it's not like the ending. It's not that the ending is bad in my opinion. It's yeah. more so that it's has a few, and it's like, but why are you doing? This? It's almost like they had end credit scenes before the end credits yeah no i agree it's with like, you completely. why did you do this like this mm-hmm. it's like you you're already you're already directing a marvel movie yeah you just put them after yeah it, I, I agree 100 with that because yeah the the actual ending of the movie feels like an end credit scene to a regular mcu movie um right yeah 100 um i get that it was really important so i can see why it was before the credits but i i again i just think that was the weakest part to me and actually it's funny and it had to do this, but Return of the King, I don't know if you remember Return of the King, but that's something that Return of the King did, actually. It felt like it ended or was going to end multiple times, and it didn't because it needed to wrap up the rest of the actual book, Return of the King, by J.R.R. Tolkien. So it's like you couldn't, I don't know, do you remember that? Or do you recall that? Or do you believe that? Uh, no, I don't really recall it. I'll be honest with you, Simon. My, my memory of Lord of the Rings is very hazy. It's like 30 minutes. I feel like it was like 30 minutes. It felt like the movie was going to end like multiple times. And I was like, I, oh, 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 no, no. Oh, oh, no, no, it's not done yet. Which is, this is fine because it's an amazing movie. In fact, it won Best Picture. So oh. what am I talking about, you know? But, um, but yeah, anyways, that's my, that's my major criticism of Eternals. Other than that, I don't dislike it in many ways. Like, yeah. again, it's shocking when you see a movie this badly re- reviewed even the positive reviews if you look through them the ones that are actually giving you a score they're like three out of five like they're not like giving it like a like hey this is amazing yeah um so like the average score if you were to average all the critics because run tomatoes is not an average it's did you like it did you not and then averaging the ones and zeros this mm-hmm. in this case um if, if i'm sorry if you averaged out the scores of each of these reviewers instead i'm wondering if it would just be a 60 as an example mm-hmm. like it wouldn't i don't think it would blow anything blow any Marvel movie out of the water. But again, it's crazy that this is the least reviewed 
This is the worst reviewed Marvel movie, considering there's movies like Iron Man 2. And Iron Man 3, which I think is a worse movie. but Or Thor the Dark Thor. Thor the Dark World is the most forgettable movie in the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe, I think. Um, and it's reviewed higher. It's a 60% yeah. or something. But why? That's like, yeah, I think it's like 66 or something, something like that. It's like it has nothing to say. That's the other thing about this movie is it's, it feels so insightful. Like mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot, there's a lot being said here. Uh, it's poignant in, in a lot of ways. It, it feels like there's a lot, again, there's a lot of gravitas behind all these characters. I, I love the cast. I mean, what is there not to love? The other criticism I saw mm-hmm. in the critics reviews is this movie, the, the, each of the characters didn't have enough screen time. And I also kind of disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah. I feel like he, she did such a great job actually balancing this crazy cast. This is huge. Mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie, Kamala and Johnny, Gemma Chan, like Richard Madden, Kid Harrington. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It is. Yeah. It is wild. Yeah. yeah. I, I loved it, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Not better than The Heart of They Fall. I agree with you on that for sure. I think The Heart of They Fall is the best thing I watched this week, but I really did like it. And Me too. I was kind of, I lowered my expectations because of the reviewers who really didn't love it apparently yeah i think this movie was like a very pleasant surprise going in with like yeah again all those negative reviews i was like eh. I, honestly like the the more the score went down the more intrigued i was and i was like am i gonna am i not gonna like this is this gonna be like the first mcu movie where i'm gonna be like this sucked but uh yeah again i was i was pleasantly surprised and it's kind of funny though like in my theater i went with a couple of buddies of mine um one that's not really into the mcu movies he just wanted to like come along and watch it he thought like like after the movie he's like yeah it's fine and he's like he could have t- taken it or leave it and then one of my other buddies josh who is uh, uh really into like the mcu he, he also really liked it however there were people behind us in the theater that like as soon as the movie ended they're like well that was a waste of two hours of my life and then like stood up and like just left the theater and i was like oh okay so i guess even huh. in my theater like some people didn't like it but yeah it's interesting uh, it's a two and a half hour movie mm-hmm. like it's not short at all that's the other thing that's that's different like there's not many two and a half hour movies in the marvel Cin- cinematic universe except for i think really- this is i think this is the longest one excluding infinity war and uh endgame right if i recall correctly yeah i th- yeah. think so i don't want to say yes or no there's so many of them <laughs> i have to go through each of them it seems to right. find that but I do wonder, I always wonder this because this is something that happens. When, you, when you're in a theater full of people and someone's snickering behind you, they don't like the movie, sometimes people just, the crowd turns. And it, it happens with this, I feel like in anything, really, a theater play or, you know, I don't know a, a comedy special, whatever it may be. Somebody's behind you or they're in the theater and there's like people like kind of, you can see that they're fidgeting, they're not liking it. It can the crowd can turn my audience. I feel like the seven o'clock audience, um, in the Guelph Cineplex, they enjoyed it. I don't think that they disliked it at all. In fact, there's people laughing out loud. There was just not, there's nothing, there was nothing to indicate that anybody disliked it. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder also like it comes out and the critics hate it. So are people reading the reviews and kind of ready to hate it? And then they hear someone snickering behind them. And then now they're also upset because yeah. the movie's a waste of time. I don't know. It's it it does change it, for sure. I, I do think that you watch something in a room by yourself. You're not sitting next to someone else that you know and and you know care about their opinion. It change. 
that changes your perspective on what the movie sometimes it, do, it doesn't always, but mm-hmm. it can change your perspective on how you like a movie. It's one of the reasons I love going to the theater because I, I enjoy the psychological response of the people around me. I think that that's really cool too, but yeah. Again, I'll never forget that Endgame experience. Like that was one of the greatest movie experiences, one of the greatest experiences of my entire life, honestly. That I think back so fondly of the the, the screams in the theater when specific things happened, and uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. That's why, we, yeah, that's why I love that theater going experience. It's it's unforgettable. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. So you'd recommend Eternals to the average fan? Hundred percent. I don't yeah, know what's too. going on. It, <laughs> yeah. It's it's it is strange in that we we're not we're we don't always see eye to eye with the critics. It's not a thing that we do anyway. Because yeah. with the movie we talk about every week without a doubt is Batman versus Superman: Dawn of it, Justice. Yeah, so it's funny. We love that movie. Yeah, so it's funny because I, I wanted to kind of bring this up. This movie kind of reminds me of Batman v Superman. Not necessarily the plot or how anything happens, but I was sitting there thinking like. This is another Batman v Superman situation. It's like I'm really liking this, and people like it's a flawed movie, like to a certain extent. Like there, there are things that can pick apart, but I'm really enjoying it for what it is, and it's unique and different, and like there's nothing really like it that has come before it. And yeah, it, I, I was actually sitting there, and I, I that's what I told my buddy Josh uh, after the movie finished. I was like, this kind of reminded me of the Batman v Superman situation. Um, yeah, like, yeah. It, it travels through time in such a apt way that again it's so epic in that Mm. scope that's what's so amazing about it and if i didn't you know hit this point home i feel like the other thing is people want a marvel cinematic universe formula movie this is what the thing that they want is that's what they wanted for batman versus superman because how many damn marvel movies came out before that and there wasn't really that many dc movies being released Mm -hmm. so they wanted that and that was ingrained in their mind that the skeleton that a good superhero movie was was Iron Man and mm-hmm. Black Panther. That's what they, oh, I just, Black, Black, Black Panther came out after. But yeah. regardless, there were many movies that followed that formula prior. And so that's kind of what people were looking for. I feel like that's, again, what critics were looking for. And it biased their opinion because they had seen those movies and they couldn't accept something that was different. People have issues with change. They just don't, they can't, in their mind, they couldn't change the concept of what Chloe Zhao usually makes, and they couldn't change the concept of what I'm expecting a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie to be, especially when you, they just saw Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. I went through some of the critics' reviews. The people who disliked or liked, sorry, Shang-Chi disliked Eternals. Hmm. I was like, okay. One of them is not really original. It's not unoriginal it does it, it does shake up the marvel cinematic universe mm-hmm. shang chi and the legend of the ten rings does. yeah i, I love shang chi it's awesome but it doesn't again it's not shaking it up enough that it's really changing anything like thor ragnarok shakes it up and but it's a comedy so you can kind of really feel the marvel in it mm-hmm. and it's similar with spider-man the two spider-man movies are both kind of comedies too they're very very light but then yeah. when it comes to like darker movies i don't know well actually winter soldier is a good outlier mm-hmm. to be honest but um but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But actually Black Widow, I feel like doesn't follow the Marvel Cinematic Universe formula. Um and it's mm, Yeah, yeah, not not exactly. It kind of does because it's just like, hey, you're fighting a person that fights exactly like you, sort of thing. You're right, actually. It's funny. Yeah. It, it is similar in that regard. Yeah. And it's kind of going back in time to do a it's not really an origin film, but it almost is. And it's funny, it's like I, you have to do an origin film now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I can see that a little bit. Um, but 
But anyways, this one really shakes it up, as you just pointed out. And mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the trick. So that's why, again, people don't love it. I, yeah. I think that that's why. It's a, it is a Batman versus Superman situation because that movie does not follow any formula. It's doing its own thing. Zack Snyder decided to do his own movie, not, not Man of Steel again, which is arguably the Marvel Cinematic Universe formula. That is literally that formula. But I guess minus the humor. I feel like Man of Steel isn't that funny. But Wonder Woman follows that exact formula. It's what, a 90% or 88% of Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. I don't know. So again, that's kind of the it's where it's at in my mind is why critics didn't like it. But I, hard to know. It's very strange to me. I almost I liked it enough that I almost want to go see it again. Because I me thought too. it was epic. And there's things I missed, in, I feel like, in it that I think there's so many little details that she threw in that I feel like she just did such a good job mm-hmm. pulling, again, many timelines together and many characters together into this team and making me feel for every one of the characters in this team to the point where I thought about them afterwards. And I was like, wow, that, that character played by, um, I was going to say that Don Lee. Oh, oh, wow. You're trying to guess who I'm thinking. No, the, the actress who I've only ever seen in, in the, the walking dead. dead, Lauren, it's Lauren. Something. She plays Macari. Lauren, it is Lauren. I can't remember. She did a great job. Yeah. There, there's so many of them. They all did a great job. Lauren Ridloff. Okay. I should remember that name because she's been in more stuff lately. Uh, and oh, that's the last thing I forgot to say. The idea of this too, and the way that it was done in terms of diversity was so seamless. And it just felt like it was done, handled so perfectly and so wholesomely. Mm-hmm. They didn't like point out the fact that it was extremely diverse, really. They just did it. And I really appreciate when movies do this. And it's the most diverse Marvel film that there is. There, there yeah. isn't a more diverse one, I don't think. I, I, doubt, I doubt there could possibly be. And this is, it's done so masterfully and without, almost like without batting an eye. Like we don't, yeah, this is this is how it should be. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Yeah, like I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, like I guess on the topic of diversity, like it does it very well and, and very nonchalantly. I remember, I think, yeah, it was with Endgame when like the Russo brothers were like, oh, we're going to feature the first gay Marvel character. And it was literally one of the Russo yeah. brothers cameoing at like some, um, event, uh, sorry, some like blip, Alcoholics Anonymous type sort of situation, and then be like, "Oh right. yeah, you know, I lost my husband or something along along those lines." And I was like, "Why are you even like highlighting this as a fact? Like it, it's it's just so yeah, pointless. it could be in the it movie. Was, yeah. Why why market it before the movie? Exactly, and that, that was the problem with it. I like that it was in the movie. Like, don't not put it in. Oh yeah, yeah, but sorry. It, was such <laughs> a, it seemed like such a like okay. Well, why are you telling everyone in in an articles about how you're so proud of this moment? Yeah, it's like it doesn't matter. Like, like, yeah, it was yeah. a weird thing to market. I do agree with you. Um, but yeah, th- this does do diversity incredibly well without it feeling, you know, like I, I, people are going to complain regardless of me. Like, ah, oh, the diversity just being shoved in our throats. This is super lame, blah, blah, blah. But again, I, I, th- I think it's a good thing. I like having a diverse cast of characters and I think it really benefits this movie and, you know, the the, the characters and the development of these characters throughout the film. And um, yeah, I, I really do like this. I think this movie's great. I think this movie is really good, actually. I think we were going with that as well, like the, yeah. the talk of like the the Russo brothers thing mm-hmm. with with Endgame, um, was the fact that Eternals was banned in multiple countries. You know about that, right? Because it it's it features the first gay superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh yeah, like a bunch of like Middle Eastern countries, like Saudi Arabia and shit like that. Yeah, they banned it at the, like the last, that's like the eleventh hour, yeah. which is insane. I couldn't believe they banned it at this point. Like you'd think that they would have just not had it happen because i think it was already advertised like months and months back 
mm-hmm. that this was going to happen. So, you, I don't know, pay attention before you ban it and you literally have like hundreds of theaters ready to go. <laughs> like, that's what I heard. Like, they were still selling tickets when they banned it. They yeah. still had them on the websites of these theater chains. Yeah. I can't but, believe that anyway. like some countries still are like that. It's fucking so bad. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it's it's unbelievable. It's unreal. Anyway. So, yeah. Do I recommend it? Heck yes. Again. But Ooh, yeah. But don't be don't be in it to just watch a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. That's not why you should you should be well, you do want to watch a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. That's why you would go see this, but at the same time, that's not all it is. Like it it, it changes up the formula and that's that's a good thing. Why mm-hmm. we want to have the same thing every time. That's what that's my two cents on it. It's more like five cents. We talked about this for a bit. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, Adrian. Let's move on now to the news, shall we? Okay. Let's begin with a small collection of more focused stories that have been particularly pertinent this week. Number one, according to publication The Hollywood Reporter, Super Mario Brothers voice actor and Jurassic World action star Chris Pratt has been cast as Garfield the Cat in the upcoming Sony Pictures animated Garfield movie. The Emperor's new groove director, Mark Dindal, is set to direct, while Finding Nemo screenwriter David Reynolds has been hired on to pen the script. Original Garfield comic creator Jim Davis is also set to executive produce the upcoming film. Mm-hmm. Garfield's latest stint in theaters was the live-action Garfield film with Bill Murray playing a CG-animated Monday-hating Garfield. What a great movie that was, wasn't it, Simon? Sorry, did you watch that movie? Uh, many years ago. Oh, I never saw it. It's not good. I was joking. Oh, okay, okay. It's not a good movie. Yeah. Good to know. But, yeah. but um, I, I imagine Bill Murray's a good choice to play Garfield, though. Mm-hmm. I can see that as pretty iconic. I have I, always pictured Garfield as a very sleepy voice. And uh, Chris Pratt actually fits this bill. It's funny. But I, I know that you picked this story because you pick our, our three stories um, because of the fact that Chris Pratt was recently <laughs> recently cast as Super Mario. So what do you think about this casting, Adrian? What do you think about Chris Pratt being cast as Garfield? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I just, again, Chris Pratt is just being cast in everything at this point. It's It's kind of funny. Uh, it's, it's going to be like a running joke and I I can kind of see it. I think this fits way better than him playing Mario, but yeah, it it seems weird still. I'm just like, really? Like he's playing these two iconic animated, there are two iconic characters just back to back so quickly announced it. It it just seems odd. And I I don't know. I I feel bad for voice actors out there, but people that, you know, specifically do voice acting. It's like, ah, you know, Chris Pratt's taking all your roles. It's funny because, um, uh, I, I, this might be in the montage, but that uh, Adi Shankar, he was talking about, you know, his uh, upcoming Devil May Cry uh, TV series that I think is supposed to be a Netflix original series. And uh, during an interview, he specifically said that Chris Pratt is not going to play or voice any of the characters in the show, which I found uh, pretty funny. I don't know. It gave me a good yeah. chuckle. When you when it comes to these types of big blockbuster films for animated features, though, honestly, most of the time it is big name Hollywood actors. Like yeah, you don't find right. that their voice uh, voice over actors specifically are cast in these roles. Yeah. Like you for TV shows and things like that, yeah, you can ha- have that. But like a Garfield movie, when they're trying to really make the big bucks from Sony Pictures, mm-hmm. um, I think that yeah, that I I don't think this is that shocking. Yeah. I think the Super Mario Brothers one is shocking because. I have no proof in any capacity that Chris Pratt can pull that off. And if he doesn't sound like Super Mario from the games in which he's voiced in like how many games, like tens of games at this point, like tens of millions of games was like 20 games. How many games have we got? 
probably there's a lot of games. Probably which, eight thousand games. I don't think so. That, that but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Charles Martinet has played Mario in many many video games for Nintendo. Why the heck was Chris Pratt cast in this role? It doesn't make any sense because the voice is iconic. Mm-hmm. So what can he possibly bring to the role that will not taint this concept? That's yeah, weird. It's one. already established. It's an animated movie. So what are you doing? Garfield mm-hmm. has had many different voice actors in the past. So I'm not actually as offended. I'm not offended at all by this. It's actually it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. If this was just announced and the Super Mario Brothers thing wasn't, I would have been like, okay, cool. The only reason it's kind of funny is because of the Super Mario Brothers thing. Exactly. And honestly, I have more faith in this Garfield movie than the uh, like Super Mario movie. Like 100%. Not only because – Oh, for sure. Like I, I don't really like uh, whatever – Illumination. Like I, I don't really like Illumination. I don't like their animation style. Who, who's making the Super Mario Brothers movie? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, whereas Sony Pictures has released two of my favorite animated movies in recent memory with uh, Mitchells versus the Machines and then also Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, and then having you know Mark Dindal like direct who made Emperor's New Groove, which is an awesome movie. Cusco's Poison. The poison for Cusco. Uh, what, what is it? Like the, the poison chosen especially to kill Cusco. Like, I love that. Uh, that, that movie's amazing. And again, having, you know, finding Nemo's screenwriter, David Reynolds, write the movie uh, like this. You also collaborated on The Emperor's New Groove, actually. Ooh, you worked with him. They're, they're awesome. reuniting for this movie. That's that's very exciting. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually intrigued by this one. I think this one actually has a very good shot of being a great movie. The creatives on this are going to be are, are, are solid. That's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Super Mario Brothers one, the people who even like the casting people, the people who are in charge of the casting, casting director. Mm-hmm. Are you good? Like, why would you cast this guy and then cast <laughs> Charles Martinet in another support role? In a cameo. It's nonsense. So they have like an all-star cast. Such a crazy cast in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Crazy. I'm so interested to find out. I'm, I'm almost happy that it exists because I'm just so curious. If it's not a dumpster fire, why is that? Because <laughs> yeah. Illumination, as you pointed out, hasn't made any amazing movie. And the, the cards are stacked against them right now. They yeah. stacked them against themselves. <laughs> they did this to themselves. So like, imagine it was Pixar. If it was Pixar making the Super Mario Brothers movie and Chris Pratt was cast, I'd be like, okay, it's Pixar. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like, it's like people were like shocked when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker. Mm-hmm. They're like, that's not going to be good. How can this guy who's in like Casanova in the Knights and uh, a Knight's Tale, how can he be our Joker? Oh, it's awful. It's going to be terrible. And then Christopher Nolan and Heath Ledger just completely defied all expectations. Mm-hmm. Will they? Will Illumination do this? <laughs> I, you know what, Simon? I believe they will. I think Illumination Studios is on the same level of any movie Christopher Nolan has come out with, and Chris Pratt is a better actor than Heath Ledger ever uh, ever was. So yeah, I think they will. Guess we'll find out when that when that cookie crumbles. Yeah, I'm being fully, totally facetious. I just want to clarify. I do not believe that. I think we, I think we got it from the way you you talked before. But okay, cool. I appreciate your clarification. No worries. Alrighty. Number two, as publication deadline reports, Jojo Rabbit director Taika Waititi has been chosen to direct the film adaptation of author Alejandro Jodorowsky's graphic novel, The Inkle. The Inkle was written by Jodorowsky in the 1970s with art drawn by French artist Mobius. 
The movie will be produced by comic book publisher Humanoids and will feature a script by Taika Waititi and his longtime collaborator Jermaine Clements, who worked with Waititi on the quirky comedy What We Do in the Shadows, among other projects. This particular science fiction space opera follows a private detective named John DeFool, whose life is altered enormously when he finds a mysterious coveted artifact known as the Inkle that places DeFool on a path to attempting to save the universe. Oh. Alejandro Yodorovsky seemed quite confident in Waititi as the choice for director when he said, quote, When Humanoid CEO Fabrice Geiger introduced me to Taika Waititi's work, it became obvious to me that he was the one. I fully trust Taika's creativity to give the Inkle a stunning take, intimate and at the same time of cosmic proportions, unquote. Mm-hmm. Adrian, I don't know of you having read this comic, but if you have, let me know. What are you thinking about this news? Um, I do know that you enjoy the work of Taika Waititi, though. I do indeed, Simon. So I've never read this graphic novel. I looked into it briefly, and it seems like a really cool premise. Um, and I, I'm actually curious about maybe picking this up and like giving it a read through. But uh, again, we'll, we'll see if I ever get there. But the reason why I wanted to choose the story is because I, I love the idea that Taika Waititi and um, Jermaine Clements is, are coming back together. I think they're awesome. And what we do in the shadows is one of my favorite comedies of all time. I think it's just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant movie that is just so incredibly hilarious. And, you know, if they can make a amazing thing like that um, and they they made a bunch of other stuff together as well. Um, I think this is just a match made in heaven, obviously. And if the, you know, uh, what's the gentleman's name? Alejandro Jodorowsky. Um, if he's confident in these two and it's his source material, I can't imagine this being anything less than good. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Jodorowsky has got quite the history and he's a pretty famous fellow. The Inkle is actually known in some circles as the best comic to ever exist. Are you serious? Uh-uh. Or best science fiction comic to ever exist, I should say. It's very well regarded. And interestingly, the Yodorovsky, just because we've talked about this recently, um, there's a movie called Yodorovsky's Dune. And oh. in this movie, it's a documentary. My brother pointed it out many, many weeks ago on a, a write-in he did for us. You can... By the way, audience, you can write into us at splitfocuspodcast at gmail.com. But when he wrote into us, he talked about Yodorovsky's Dune, I believe. And that's like a documentary that talks about how he, Yodorovsky, who's got a pretty singular vision, um, how he would have made the movie. Uh, and you can watch this, I believe, on Amazon Prime Video if you wanted to watch this documentary. Okay. The movie never got made. Like, it's not a movie that actually, like, the documentary got made, but the actual movie, Yodorovsky's Dune, the, the actual Dune movie that he would have wanted to make never got made. And then I believe it was after Yodorovsky's ideas for Dune kind of solidified that he decided to get into making this comic. And then he, him and Mobius, basically, he wrote it and Mobius um, drew it. The vampire played by Jared Leto? No, it's a French artist. Oh, okay. But hilarious because that new trailer, I know you love that new Mobius trailer. I did not. It doesn't look good. I I have no interest. Like I'm going to watch Morbius, but that trailer did not do anything for me. I just don't care. I don't even really like Jared Leto all that much. Like I I don't know. He doesn't do anything for me. I like him. He's really good in everything he's in for me. Yeah. I think he's great. But I I think it's just that separating the art from the artist because I think about like what he did on the set of Blade Runner 2049 where he just pretended to be blind the entire time. And it's just like, uh, like, why do people do shit like that? 
or him like sending freaking rats and boxes or used condoms and stuff like all those stories it's like, method it's method adrian it's stupid on. that's like like no again I've, I've mentioned this before if you do that in any other work environment if i went into work and gave someone a box with a rat in it i would be fired if i gave came into work and threw a used condom on a table or something, I would be fired. I just don't understand how this man anyways, doesn't matter. I'm not gonna go off on it. It's ridiculous. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. But I'm but I'm interested in this movie. And uh, I'll probably check out this uh this comic book it, or this graphic novel. It's considered one of the best ones ever written. Uh this Yodorovsky. Yeah, in guy, some sort I mean, that's everyone thinks that about everything. Yeah, fair <laughs> the, take that with a grain of salt, but that is a it is a very well regarded mm-hmm. comic and um I, I love to see his name, like Alejandro Yodorovsky, come up right now just because we just talked about Dune by Denis Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just a, it's just a, a funny thing that it came up like this. Did you watch the video, by the way, that was released with uh, with Taika Waititi being announced as the as the director for this? Oh, no. I didn't know there was a video. Yeah, there was a video. And that's, that's kind of what I, I – when I was researching for this, it was released, I think, on Taika Waititi's uh, social media pages. But it was also released like on their website. Um, for the ankle and it's cool i i just uh, i respect this idea that alejandro yodorovsky chose taika because he's so talented and he he sees that taika would do something really good with this because as yodorovsky the 92 year old yodorovsky points out in the video i believe it was in the video mm-hmm. my my brain's fuzzy because i watched a few things about this particular subject matter but uh, he was stating that he would have just done it himself if he could have He's just, he's 92 now. And so he had to find the right director who was going to do justice to this incredible work. So I, I, I really appreciate that concept that he mm-hmm. handpicked him and, uh, and they did a video to, to show that. And uh, that's why I'm confident this is going to be really good because yeah. the comic is extremely well-regarded. It's Yodorovsky who's quite well-regarded and it's Taika Waititi who's well-regarded by Yodorovsky and by me because I really do like Waititi's work and Jermaine Clement's I agree with you. I, I really love what we do in the shadows. So I think that that whole combination of things, I'm on board, baby. I'm on board. Oh, all aboard, baby. Okay. Number three, as publication Variety reports, Tiger King star Carol Baskin is suing Netflix and production company Royal Good Productions over the continued use of footage of her and her husband, Howard Baskin, for season two of Tiger King. Carol Baskin is claiming that the initial signed appearance release forms only accounted for the first season and did not include any subsequent series. Mm. Therefore, within the confines of the lawsuit, the Baskins want all footage of them removed from the impending November 17th premiere of the Encore Tiger King sequel. The suit claims, quote, Understanding that the appearance releases limited Royal Good Productions' use of the footage of the Baskins and Big Cat Rescue to the single initial documentary motion picture, the Baskins believed that any sequel, though odious, would not include any of their footage, unquote. It's a doozy of a quote. The Baskins were quite outspoken regarding their disdain for Netflix's first Tiger King season due to the way that they were portrayed, with Carol Baskin recently calling the series a, quote, reality show dumpster fire, unquote, during an interview with Variety. Mm. Adrian, what are you thinking about this drama? She killed her husband, right? I knew you. I knew you picked the story, so you would say that. I literally said this to uh, Dawn, my girlfriend, when when I was like, he picked the Carol Baskin suing Netflix story, and I feel like the one thing that he's going to say is that Carol Baskin killed her husband, yeah. like right away. 
as soon as we go into this. And you, you did it without a without fail. <laughs> you know me well, my friend. You know me quite well. Um, you, yeah, you like that season, right? That first season of Tiger really King. It's it. a wild story. Yeah. It's a crazy thing that it takes that turn. I didn't think that they were going to go down that road of really focusing on whether Carol Baskin had actually killed her husband. Because it's something that um, Joe Exotic says repeatedly, but you don't you don't know that there is a lot of merit potentially behind that theory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. Did you watch the trailer for Tiger King 2 the, that's coming out on November 17th of this year? Uh, yeah, I, I don't recall it. It came out uh, back during Netflix Day, right? Whenever that was called. Uh, I don't know. No. No, there was a more recent one. Oh, I don't know if I saw I the more recent one. Maybe it did. I, time is moving funny for me. But uh, there, was a, there was a recent one, and, and it's, it's interesting because it looks like they're actually going to clear her name. Oh, okay. Yeah, it looks like they went into detail and tried to find out more about the situation. It looked actually on the perspective of trying to be unbiased. I don't know if that's going to be the case when the actual thing comes out. Trailers kind of deceive. But to me, it looked like that. That's the funny thing. So the question of whether Carol Baskin had killed her her previous husband, not Howard Baskin. Yeah. A different person. Um, Yeah, that that seems to be a question that they're still questioning Mm -hmm. They're still still trying to answer. So that's going to be cool. I'm very interested to see this. I'm I'm definitely excited for this, but I just can't imagine. And this is the thing I'm worried about this. I can't imagine this is going to be as good as the first season. Yeah. So like one thing that's a little bit of a red flag for me about this is that I, I assumed that they went out and like re like recorded a bunch more stuff for this season. But from like her statement. They didn't even talk to her about the second season. They're just going to use existing footage that they recorded for the first season. So that kind of is of her. Yeah, of her. But this isn't really all about her, though. I know, but that alone is a little bit just disappointing, um, in in my personal opinion. They can't film her. She hates to see. She hates this. She hates Tiger King, murder, madness, and mayhem so much. She would not allow them even close to Big Cat Rescue. So that didn't surprise me. They filmed other stuff. That's why I said, did you watch the trailer too? Because mm-hmm. there is also other footage in there, just not of her as much. Yeah. They're going to touch on that. And I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of footage of her, but that's not really what they're doing. I think they're they're going a different direction, but they're also going to investigate in a foreign country, potentially, oh. what might have happened. Because he apparently Baskin's past husband flew away in a plane. That's what she claimed mm-hmm. in a private plane, if I recall. Right, something like that. I don't Remember recall. That? It's been a while. But he went to another country, and the question of where question is where did he land? What where did he go? Because we, we don't know where he went. He never came back. So that's what they go. They apparently send. They go to the to the country he's supposed to be, and I think they try and investigate it there. Oh, okay. So that's cool. I think they might feature some footage of her, but I think they're also they're also talking about her, and I think that that's why the suit exists too. Mm. I wouldn't unless you heard. I thought you were going to tell me that they explicitly didn't film any other footage for this oh no i was was mostly just talking about in regards to her oh yeah Yeah. that's not so i mean she's a central part of that story for the first season but i don't imagine that she's going to be as central in this one Mm -hmm. except for the fact that now we we know that they're investigating the disappearance even further so i don't know yeah we'll see We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I do agree with you. I, I don't know if it, this can live up to the hype of that first season. And honestly, I feel like there is no hype behind this. Like, I feel like no one's really talking about it coming out. So I'm curious once it drops, like how people will, re- will receive this. Because like, I'm interested in this, but I don't think I'm going to watch it like day one. Um, maybe I will. If I, I will. Time. But yeah, we will. 
I um I've been watching and I haven't finished it, so I didn't want to really talk about. It. We've been watching. We just started getting to true crime again, and we watched um, Murder Among the Mormons, and we watched the first two episodes of of a three episode series. Oh, it's like a documentary series. It's really quite interesting on too. Netflix. Wow. Yeah, okay. it's on Netflix. Maybe I'll check it out. I wouldn't. Again, my recommendation for to you, if you want to watch something true crime, watch The Jinx. That's on Crave. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. That's what I thought. It's an HBO show initially. Mm-hmm. That that's unbelievable. That that story is just crazy. That that story is unreal, and it's six episodes there. But the murder murder among the Mormons is actually quite good. Again, uh, my girlfriend and I we really took a liking to true crime stuff. Mm. Um, I, I kind of feel like I uh, I got a kick out of the fact that they kind of make fun of that in uh, Only Murders in the Building. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But. Um, yeah yeah i used to watch like some true crime stuff with like my ex but uh, i don't know like true crime never really interested me specifically like i would watch it with her but never on my own oh, okay but, but you like tiger king though. i did that is true crime yeah i did watch it with her though so like there that is a thing but i did really like tiger king i'll probably watch it if you're gonna watch it like during its initial release then i will so we can talk about it in detail yeah we will okay my girlfriend and i we have we have like a list of movies and shows that we are watching together and that's on it so we are definitely anticipating this. We'll, we'll see. Hope, I just hope it's good. Me too. That's my only concern. Okay. Cool. All right. Now onto the montage, a sequence of our show in which I briefly present the week's smaller news stories as Adrian delivers a brisk verdict. Number one, as Publication Variety reports, Network Stars has renewed the Stephen Amell starring wrestling series Heels for a second season. I heard that this show is pretty good. Huh. It's reviewed incredibly well. Number two. As Variety reports, Schitt's Creek stars Dan and Eugene Levy have both been tapped by two separate networks to host and produce reality TV programs. Eugene Levy was hired on for the Apple TV Plus travel series The Reluctant Traveler, while Dan Levy was tapped by HBO Max to help run a cooking competition called The Big Brunch. Cool. I love cooking competition shows. Number three. As followed by The Hollywood Reporter, modern family actress Sofia Vergara has been cast as Colombian drug lord Griselda Bianca, aka The Black Widow, in Netflix's upcoming six-episode limited series called Griselda. Oh, I guess Disney uh, recast Scarlett Johansson. Weird. <laughs> it's a joke, Simon. Just You know what? Sometimes you can laugh a little bit harder, okay? You don't have to make me feel bad about making these jokes, okay? <laughs> Number four. As Variety reports, production has recently halted on Marvel's Black Panther Wakanda Forever film due to Shuri star Leticia Wright's recovery from an onset injury that occurred in August of 2021. That's too bad. Hopefully she has a speedy recovery. I'm curious though, like this is uh, putting my tinfoil hat on here. She is a vocal anti-vaxxer, so I wonder if that uh, plays any part about this. Hmm... Number five, according to Deadline, Sex and the City actor Kim Cattrall has recently been cast in Who's How I Met Your Mother spinoff series, How I Met Your Father. Ooh, I'm excited for this one, actually. Hopefully it's on uh, Disney's Star here in Canada. Number six, as Deadline reports, Ted Lasso actress Hannah Waddingham and Veep actress Sam Richardson and Tony Hale have all been cast in the Disney Plus horror comedy film sequel Hocus Pocus 2. Alongside original Hocus Pocus cast members, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Kajimi. 
that's that's cool. I mean, good cast, obviously. Um, I don't really care for Hocus Pocus, though, I'll be honest with you. Number seven, as noted by The Hollywood Reporter, Lost actor Daniel Day Kim has been cast as Fire Lord Ozai in Netflix's upcoming Avatar The Last Airbender live-action TV series. That is incredibly great casting. Incredibly great. Number eight. As Variety reports, director Christopher Nolan's upcoming Robert J. Oppenheimer-centered World War II film has recently cast actors Robert Downey Jr. and Matt Damon after already hiring on Killian Murphy and Emily Blunt to the star-studded ensemble. That is a star-studded ensemble indeed, Simon. I can't wait for this one. I love Christopher Nolan. Number nine. As followed by Variety, Wonder Woman actress Gal Gadot has been cast as the evil queen alongside West Side Story actress Rachel Zegler's Snow White in Disney's upcoming live-action, Mark Webb-directed Snow White film. Simon, how can they cast someone that's not white to play Snow White? That's ridiculous. I'm kidding. By the way, there was controversy back in the day. We talked about this, you know. Yes. We're both on the side. I'm cool with Rachel Rachel Zegler being Snow White, is, is all I'm saying. It's a joke. Number 10. As Variety reports, the Mighty Ducks headline star Emilio Estevez has chosen not to return for the second season of the Disney Plus TV series The Mighty Ducks Game Changers due to a disagreement regarding production studio ABC Signature's vaccine requirement. So Simon, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here. And I think that it might be because Emilio Estevez actually got into uh, injury on set back in August. And that's why he's leaving the show. And that concludes the montage. Montage. That was a pretty good joke. I appreciated that. that was <laughs> Thank good. you. Thank you. That was a good call out. A good uh, call back, as they say. That um, is a strange situation. It's funny. When I read the Mighty Ducks Emilio Estevez thing, and I saw re- recently the same kind of, well, not the same thing, but the Shuri... The teacher right recovery thing. I did remember the fact that she wasn't a big fan of the vaccine, mm-hmm. but then she also recently said specifically after the Hollywood Reporter said that she was talking on set to the Black Panther like cast and crew about how she was anti-vax. She specifically called out that's a lie, and she was not doing that. Mm. But the injury, I tried to look up what the injury was, and I couldn't find out what it was exactly. And it was in August. Yeah, and now it's November. So what was the injury? I don't know. And there's got to be a vaccine requirement on Disney's sets because ABC Signature has a vaccine requirement. And we reported on that a while ago. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if she got the vaccine. I couldn't find out if that happened or not. But the report says that she specifically was injured. And that's exactly why. uh, That's exactly why they halted production because they couldn't go ahead without her anymore. They they were filming all up uh, until this point. She was living in London while they were filming. It's not like she was filming injured. This has been months now. She hasn't been filming. Oh, okay. So the only way I would believe this is by putting on a tinfoil hat, as you say. Instead, I'm going to choose to believe that she is vaccinated and injured and uh, staying in London while she recovers. And I wish her a speedy recovery. Okay. But uh, it is it is interesting. I do, I do wonder. Mm. I wonder as well. It's crazy, though, that this guy would just... He's the headline star, and I don't think Emilio Estevez has been in very much lately, so it kind of makes me sad that this happened. Anyway, let's move on, Adrian. What do you have for me, buddy? What do you have? What do you got for me? I got new releases for you, Simon. So uh, so let's just jump jump right into it. This is uh, for the week of November the 8th to the 14th. It's uh, uh, Monday to a Sunday, as it regularly is. The first couple movies are coming out on Wednesday the 10th. That first one is Passing, which is a Netflix original movie. 
1920s New York is the scene, Simon, and we're following two black women. However, one is passing as a white person. Uh, this movie uh, has Tessa Thompson and Ruth Naga in it, I believe. Ooh. Yeah. Next up is Clifford the Big Red Dog. It's coming to theaters. It's kind of odd because it's a Wednesday. But honestly, it doesn't look too bad. It doesn't look too bad. I'm interested in this one. Indeed. Will I watch it? Probably not. But maybe. Uh, next up is Thursday the 11th of November. Uh, it's a movie called Seven Prisoners. This is a Netflix original movie, and it's about a teen that is trying to escape from the grasp of a human trafficker. But can he live by his moral code while he tries to do it? Question mark. Oh, no. I don't know. And then next up is Friday the 12th. There's a few movies coming out that day. The first one is Red Notice. This is a Netflix original movie, uh, which is like a spy movie. Looks quite fun. Stars The Rock, Gal Gadot, and uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then we have Home Sweet Home Alone, which is Disney Plus uh, original movie. This is uh, uh, Home Alone, but uh, slightly more British because it stars that, uh, that kid from uh, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, it looks like an okay cast. Yeah, but um, I feel like it's a pretty good cast, but yeah, I think it looks good. It's funny. I don't know. I just feel like you can never live up to what the Macaulay Culkin Home Alones are. Yeah. So I don't know that you can really ever make it good Uh, because there was a bunch of I don't know if you recall this, but there was a bunch of Home Alone, not really reboots. I don't know how they were connected, though, but they were were like like sequels. sequels. Yeah, they were like after the Macaulay Culkin ones. Yeah, but they just never lived up to the the hype of the first two. It just felt like a waste. Home Alone this 3. This isn't going to theaters, so. Yeah. I feel like. Oh, it's it's going to theaters? It's not. That's my oh. point. So I wonder if like really how good is this? Although there were a bunch of movies on Disney Plus that didn't go to theaters. That were Well, there were premiere access, so to be clear. but Well, Luca, that movie was awesome. Didn't go to theaters. Wasn't premiere access. It is, but I don't know. Well, yeah. Are you comparing this to Luca? Probably not. No. <laughs> I'm or just saying Soul. that as an example. Soul to me oh, was yeah. the was one of the best movies that um, Pixar has ever made for me. I yeah. really do love it. So yeah, the home alone three. So yeah, they, they switched out the kid, but it's still like a technically a sequel. It's kind was of it tr- the same, like the wet bandits? Same actors? No, I don't it was, think so. It was different people. Yeah. It's fully different people. It's just stupid. It shouldn't have been home alone three. That was like a cash grab because they realized that the, wasn't it made like years later too, like five years later or something like that at least. Yeah. It's 1997, that one. Oh, okay. Is Scarlett Johansson in Home Alone 3? What? Is it? Is she? I think so. Really? I'm looking this up right now. Home Alone 3 cast. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson's in it. What's it rated on Rotten Tomatoes? Maybe I'm thinking of a different one. It's not rated well. Okay. Yeah, interesting. She looks so young, it's funny. Um... Okay, yeah. Anyways, uh, that that one, I don't care to watch it. I doubt it'll be good. Next up uh, is a movie called Mayor Pete, and this is a Amazon Prime Video original movie, and this follows Pete Buttigieg, 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 as he runs for the presidency of the United States. He lost. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> I didn't know they were making a movie about this. Yeah, me neither. Um, next up is Apex. This is confirmed by Movie Insider on the Apple TV app. This is a video on demand movie. And this is Bruce Willis. Uh, and he's and he's just this movie is Bruce Willis. Let's just say that. I'll leave it at that. 
Uh, he, he, I don't know if you see the trailer. It's just Bruce Willis killing people that are trying to kill him. It's like the most dangerous game, but Bruce Willis is the most dangerous, Simon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, next up is The Accursed. This is confirmed by Movie Insider and the Apple TV app. This is a video on demand movie, and it's about a family curse that comes back to haunt a woman after 20 years of trying to suppress it. The oh, curse. No. The curse. Uh, Double Walker is up next. Uh, this is confirmed by Movie Insider and the Apple TV app. This is a video on demand movie. And so a girl dies on Christmas Day in a small town. And that same night, another girl moves into that town. The plot twist. That new girl is actually the ghost of the girl that just died. And she came back to solve her murder. Are you spoiling this movie right now? No, that's the premise of the movie. That, that was from the write-up. Okay. Just making sure. Maybe I'm I did. Trying. Maybe this. I'm, maybe the write-up literally spoils it. But that's literally the, that's literally well. That's the, their fault. That's their fault. I'm just yeah. making sure that the fault is not in split focus of them in TV podcasts corner. That's all no. I'm doing. I'm 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 checking us. Yeah. Checking us at the door. Check it at the door, Simon. Check it at the door. We don't door. spoil things here, Adrian. We don't spoil things. We're careful. I spoil everything. You ready? I'm gonna spoil something. No, you're not. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. Bad movie. So it's not a spoiler. That's that a spoiler. Should be common knowledge. Although, no, actually, no, it's not common knowledge. Palpatine it's, came back somehow, by the way. It's like 80%. It's like 80% of Rotten Tomatoes in terms of uh, audience score. So audience loves it. The audience loves Rise of Skywalker. What the fuck is wrong with people? What is wrong with people? Anyway, I don't care. This is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, so that's Double Walker. Soulmates is up next, and this is confirmed by the most reliable source on the internet, m.the-numbers.com and the Apple TV app. This is a video-on-demand movie, and it's a girl that gets jealous of her friend finding love and tries to ruin her relationship. Oh, dear. It's probably more nuanced than that, but that's what I picked up on it. Uh, and then the second to yeah, the, yeah, the second and last movie is a movie called Love is Love is Love. It's confirmed by Movie Insider. Sorry, Movie Insider. The most reliable source on the internet, m.the-numbers.com and the trailer. It's coming to theaters, but it's not coming to any theaters near us. It's not on Cineplex's website from what I could tell. But maybe it's going to like Apollo or something. I never checked that. Let me check. Love is love is love. Showtimes. Do we see any showtimes near us? Nope. Nothing near us. Nothing near us. Anyways. Uh, and the final movie coming out this week is a movie called Belfast. And this is confirmed by Cineplex. The application is coming to theaters. This actually looks pretty great. I really like the trailer. This is directed by Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. It's a yeah. stars Jamie Dornan. Mm-hmm. It looks good for sure. That that's a yeah. it's, it's in black and white, which is quite neat. And it looks like it does something tricky with color as well. Like it does some tricky visual effects. I probably won't like it because I don't like black and white movies, like you've mentioned before. Hmm. Hmm. I'm just kidding. I do like some of them. Which one? The Lighthouse. Oh, you got me. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Anyways, but that's it. That's all, baby. That's it. That's all. I'd like to just to point out that uh, I just kept typing in. I wasn't sure how many Home Alone movies there were, but instead of typing in to Google, how many Home Alone movies are there? I typed in Home Alone 3, and then I found, we obviously found the Scarlett Johansson one, and then I typed in Home Alone 4, and then I found another one. And they're always got the same pose with their face, you know, with their hands up to their face and like, an, you know, they're like shocked. Every one of these kids. Anyways. Uh, I'm like kids. Home Alone 4. Oh. It exists. Home Alone 5. So Home Alone 4. Exists as well. Home Alone, Home Alone 6. They're on Home Alone 6, Adrian. Is that is that Home, Home Alone's Sweet Home Alones or whatever? Yes. Oh. So Home Alone 4. This is interesting. Because Home Alone 3, it stars a kid named Alex. But Home Alone 4, 
They bring back Kevin McAllister, but it's played by a kid named Mike Weinberg. So they bring back the McAllisters. Oh, no way. Yeah, in Home Alone 4. The the Home Alone Forsaken, as I'm going to call it. I just feel like, though, yeah, I just feel like the foolishness, though. Home Alone, The Holiday Heist. Finn and his sister, Alexis, that's the fifth one, are paranoid after a friend tells them that their house is haunted. They get a bigger shot when a group of thieves come to sit. So at least they, they got rid of Kevin McAllister, not again, in the in the fifth one. Now it's Finn Baxter. <sighs> <laughs> Why did they do this so much? I don't know. This is so weird. <laughs> it's so strange. Uh, it's weird, actually. The Home Alone 1 is a 66% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's actually not really? that well-regarded. Especially compared to how much I love it. Home Alone 2. It's a good movie. Lost in New York is 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. That one's pretty good. It stars uh, America's favorite president, Donald Trump, as well. Yeah, incredible. But uh, it's directed by Chris Columbus, who directed, uh, I think, the first two Harry Potter movies. And the music, by the way, I didn't realize this for Home Alone 1 and 2, is by John Williams. Oh, that's wild. I know. It's pretty crazy. They're both good. They're classics, those movies. Those are Christmas movies. They're great. And that's why they're releasing this Home Alone 6, Adrian. Home Alone 6 during, uh, you know, just in the gearing up for Christmas season time. Yeah, cool. But yeah, I I don't know if this is going to be bad necessarily, but I don't know that it's going to be good. That's what I'm going to say. That's what I'm going to say. Not like Eternals was good. Rotten Tomatoes was wrong. Okay. Rotten Tomatoes was wrong about Home Alone 1 and 2 and about Eternals. Yeah. But not about about, uh, The Harder They Fall, which is an incredible movie. Both critically and by you and I. Which is arguably the most important review. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Adrian, page. somebody wrote into us this week. I don't know if you know that, but uh, let's reach into that mailbag for a moment here, shall we? We ask our listeners to write into us with comments, questions, and corrections by way of Twitter or by email to splitfocuspodcast at gmail.com. And Marta Pinter, your mom, wrote into us and she said, Hi, Simon and Adrian. It's kind of rude, Adrian, that you would say hello. Hi. Your own mom. Hello, Anya. What? I just said hello, mother. Oh, I didn't hear them. I said Anya. Anya is uh, like mom in Hungarian. Oh, oh, okay, cool. I'm speaking in my native tongue, Simon. Hmm. I understand. Hungarian was my first language, fun fact. She continued. She didn't just say hi. She said, what are some of your worst firsts? Keep up the great work, guys. You're awesome. You're eternal fan, Marta Pinter. Adrian, what are some of your worst firsts? So I got a couple that like pop in the top of my head. Um, the first one I'll keep movie related. Uh, the first Suicide Squad movie. <laughs> that was one of my worst firsts. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that movie sucked. Uh, so that, that's one of them. Uh, I'm sure you agree with that. Yes. And uh, the other one is the first time I went to Osmos, which is like a shawarma place. Mm. Awful experience. It was it was atrocious shawarma. I like got the wrap. My girlfriend at the time, actually, uh, her parents uh, owned a shawarma shop that I used to always go to. But like I went out um, one night and, you know, it was late. So I was like, I need shawarma. I'm like, I love shawarma. So I went to Osmos. Not not good. Not good that first time. And I literally vetoed Osmos for like three years, four years, maybe three years. Um, And then uh, I get it once in a while, but I don't get the wraps because that's what I got. I got the shawarma wraps. If I get it, I usually just get like chicken on the sticks or chicken on the rocks, which is just the chicken shawarma on fries or rice covered in the garlic sauce and hot sauce. Right. Yeah. And those are 
Those are the two worst firsts that popped in my head. How about you, Simon Eady? Um, I don't know. I, I think it's funny. I'm going to do a food one too, uh, actually, Ooh. in that uh, I, had sh- uh, I had sushi for the first time. And I was told that the easiest way to ease into eating sushi by the person that took me to sushi was mm-hmm. to eat, or that I think I went with a group of friends in high school. And they claimed that the the easiest way to ease into it would be to have a California roll. That that's like a that's true. a gateway drug to the sushi yeah. world, the sushi verse. It is. It's cooked crab, some avocado, some cucumber, rice, the, seaweed. The California roll, Adrian, I discovered had fish eggs in it. And I think fish eggs are revolting. And I don't like fish eggs. Oh, really? And I would never eat them again. And I thought that all sushi would have fish eggs in them at that point. Um, and I'll eat fish eggs now, potentially, because I've come, you know, grown acclimatized yeah. to it. But the thing that grossed me out the most was fish eggs. I was also a biology student, so I'd seen fish come out of fish eggs. I'd seen fish eggs be created. I'm not a fan of fish eggs. There's nothing good about fish eggs that makes me think that that's appetizing. And so mm. I had that. I'm like, I like I, the texture. I thought I hated uh, sushi, but I really just hated fish eggs. The, to me, the best gateway would be like the salmon on just salmon on plain rice. That's actually makes way more sense. It's salmon. I don't know. I love smoked I salmon. Like- I love salmon. It's my favorite fish. And the salmon's not a fishy type fish. It's very good and it's plain rice. So. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, like their biggest thing is that Draw. they're eating raw fish. Yeah, but I don't want to eat raw fish eggs. I'm good. Oh, I I love the idea of just eating fish babies. You know? Yeah, good for you. But anyway, that that was a problem. That was a that was a bad first. And I didn't eat sushi for like years. I'm like, I don't like sushi. I didn't like sushi. That's not even that's barely sushi. Barely. It's, yeah, it's barely sushi. You're right. Anyway. I made sushi at home actually. There's a there's a place called Coddle's Catch. I must have told you this before. There's a place called Coddle, Coddle's Catch in Kitchener. Yeah. Near near where we live, and they have sushi grade salmon. And I made like a bunch of uh like spicy salmon rolls and just like salmon on rice and stuff. It was really good. I just made it in the comfort of my own home. That's great. So it's a lot of work. Moral of the story now work. is I love sushi, by the way. I, I adore oh, it. Oh, yeah, me too. It's amazing. Yeah. I want to go to Japan and eat sushi there. I'm going to go to Japan at some point in my life. Yeah, that would be a cool place to go. Two years. I'm going in 2023. I'm, I'm saying it now. Mm-hmm. Going to Japan in 2023. I wouldn't call those things because, I mean, we just got through like a global pandemic where flights were kind I'm of- I'm going in 2023, okay. Simon. Let All me right. believe. All right. Sounds good. Good to know. My last yeah. thing that I want to point out, the last worst first that I'd like to, to say, I'm sure there's others, but this is the one I thought of here, is- um. I watched Batman versus Superman for the first time. And uh, we talked about that here, but uh, I liked the movie until the Martha scene. I thought the Martha scene was absolutely atrocious and I couldn't believe how hokey it was and cheesy. And it just struck me as like, what did they do? What is Zack Snyder doing here? But over time I became again, kind of acclimatized to it. I was okay with it. And it it didn't strike me too much as a plot hole. And I, I got used to it. And now I believe that Batman vs Superman is indeed a good is the movie. greatest movie ever made. No, no, definitely not. You agree? I do love yeah. it. I do like it a lot, as we've discussed many times on Split Focus, a film and TV podcast. And um, I thank you, Marta Pinter, for writing into us. That's the kind of write-in. I mean, all of the write-ins that we've ever gotten are, are great, but I like the short and sweet nature of this write-in. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love Kenneth's emails, by the way. Kenneth, he puts a lot of effort into his emails, and I appreciate that. They're awesome. Um, he writes very thoughtful emails, and I appreciate that too. But you can too write into us, listener. 
You can write into us. Well, you're listening to me speaking to you, but we're, you're on the podcast. You're the presenter. Yeah. You know that, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Make sure Am we're I? on the same page. Me? But you also can write into us, listener, at splitfocuspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> at splitfocuspodcast at gmail.com. Please write into us with anything. Like one of these, uh, you know, little little what if what if type scenario emails a little short and sweet you can write into us about your what you ate today you can write into us about your favorite movie you can ask us a question about um i don't know whatever you want doesn't matter it doesn't matter i'm asking you to write into us with clarifications corrections perhaps but that's pretty much it adrian do you have anything to add before we wrap this podcast up honestly simon no i had a great time with you today i think this was fun and i really enjoyed our in-depth talk of both Eternals and the harder they fall. I did as well. And audience members can look forward to if they'd like, if they've watched Eternals and a closer look episode, which is a bonus episode of Split Focus, a film and TV podcast, in which we will mm-hmm. go in deep, in deep into Eternals and oh, talk nice. about the spoilery topics that we did not talk about on this episode, episode 71. Okay. So that's that's something. That's probably gonna launch on Wednesday of this week. Other than that, I ask each of you audience members, each listener to potentially subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Audible, wherever you're listening, just because it does help us out quite a bit if you subscribe, as well as if you could write a review on any of those particular podcast websites, that helps us as well. Other than that, thank you for listening to the 71st episode of Split Focus, a film and TV podcast. My name is Simon Eady, and this is Adrian Pinter signing off. Uh, yeah, it's me, Adrian, and you know what? Um... I, I agree with Simon's sentiment from earlier in this episode that Batman v Superman is a great movie. And uh, that's it. That's all. I'll keep it brief. Have a good night and take care. Goodbye. Goodbye. Take care. Goodbye. The Rob, the, 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 um, what was it? What was it? So well, good Robin Wood. So well, good Robin.